0: This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Uh, Our guest today, Ms. Dina Miriam. She is the founder and convener of the Global Peace Initiative of Women. Ms. Miriam began working in the interfaith movement in the late 1990s when she served as the vice chair of the Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders held at the United Nations in New York. Uh, Dina, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today.
1: Happy to be
2: here, uh, Dina. Let's go back to some of the origin of uh, origins of the work you do. Um, you're a longtime uh, yogi and spiritual practitioner, and at a certain point, you started uh, the Global Peace Initiative of Women, and um, were involved in the UN. Tell us a little bit about how that all came to be, how you became to be a spiritual activist, essentially.
1: Well, I I came to uh, my spiritual path when I was very young, 20, um, when I came upon the teachings of my guru, um, Paramahansa Yogananda, and became a serious meditation practitioner and um, leader of of many of the uh, uh, great Vedic texts, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the and the Mahabharata. Really, a student of that of that worldview, uh, and then about 20 years later. Um, I really kind of, in an unplanned way, got involved in organizing this big summit at the United Nations of religious leaders and and I was a little resistant because I had turned away from organized religion and was just a quiet yogi, you know, seeking my own um, understanding of the world of reality, Um, pursuing my meditation practice, I was a single mom raising my kids uh, and then I had this opportunity to organize this summit, and it was a huge deal, first time the UN ever did this. And um, in the process of organizing this, I had a, a colleague uh, who was really from the interfaith world who was working with me on this. And I noticed that there were very few women uh, who were in senior positions of, of uh, leadership in religious institutions. And so we had very few women uh, at the at the summit and i also noticed that it was dominated by abrahamic voices and that the dharma traditions were very much underrepresented and nobody even noticed and since i myself uh came you know was fully fully engrossed in studying the um the hindu tradition i just thought this was very odd so um th- the summit happened it was a success but this lack really bothered me uh, the lack of women's voices and the lack of, of the Dharma traditions. And so um, that led me to go back to the UN to, to Secretary General and asked to do a follow-up summit of women religious leaders, which Kofi Annan was very agreeable to that idea. And I made sure there was a balance between East and West, and that, that really began my interfaith work.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Dean, I wanted to uh, ask, uh, you mentioned that your guru is Paramahansa Yogananda, and uh, of course, I'm familiar with him from reading Autobiography of the Yogi, but I should also say my wife and I rented a house right next to where he once lived uh, in Encinitas, uh, and uh, as a result, I spent a lot of time over at the uh, SRF Gardens and got to know a number of the monks and some of the nuns. And And uh, well, I'm curious, you, you mentioned the lack of women leadership in, in a lot of spiritual traditions, which is obvious, but in uh, the Self-Realization Fellowship that was founded by Farmer Mahansa Yogananda, uh, the Past leader, who is in a leadership position for many, many years, and the current leader of that organization is uh, a woman. Why do you think they have uh, been um, uh, more open to uh, women women leadership than some other spiritual groups? Was it from his teaching, or
1: well, Yogananda was was really clear about having. Um, um, Madaya Mata, in particular, but also he wanted. I mean, it wasn't set in stone, but his vision was that women would would lead the organization. Um, but the men actually do go out and do most of the teaching. The 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 male swamis and and some devotees have protested and said we'd like to hear from some of the mm-hmm. the, the nuns. Uh, and SMF has adapted, and there are a few nuns now who go out. But I think in India, I mean, this is one of the things that drew me to India early on, is that they've always been. Um, women saints, you know. Mm-hmm. Women, you know. We have Amma, um, we have a, a, um, Anandamoy Ma, who's, who was passed away, you know, in the eighties. So there've always been women who are revered, and then you have the whole. I mean, what when I started, I got into this because of, of of women religious leaders, but soon found that the problem is in the theology. In Hinduism, the divine is represented as both male and female. This is a divine mother, so all these faces of divine mother—poverty, Durga, Lakshmi, Saraswati—that's not true in the Abrahamic traditions. The divine is portrayed as male, and this is a source of the problems.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and yet you know, to be honest, to be fair, in India, most of the uh, organizational leadership of in the spiritual world is male. But uh women do rise uh these exceptional women throughout throughout their history what did, What did you find when you organized uh women religious and spiritual leaders? How is it different from uh, what we uh had been accustomed to where when it was mostly men?
1: Well, the first summit that we did it was very contentious because this is in two thousand. First time to, and with the decision of coming to the General Assembly of the UN, and there was so much protocol, so much protocol, and we had to think: you know, does the Shiite Muslim speak before the Sunni? If the Shiite speaks first, mm-hmm. the Sunni will get upset. Which rabbi do you bring in? Oh, you know, all these things <laughs> that had to be followed. To the ta- it was it was really a nightmare in terms of mm-hmm. you know all the protocol, uh, and somebody couldn't speak wrong, or we had to give everybody the exact amount of time. With with the women from it. There was no, none of that. There was no protocol. <laughs> People were just happy to have a stage and a place to speak, uh, and there, it was just so much more harmonious. There was no competition uh, because you know there is competition among the religions, the institutional religions, and because the women are not leaders of those institutions, they don't. Have, they don't. They just kind of don't do, Don't do. They don't go there.
2: Oh,
0: interesting interesting uh dina when did you first uh, make the bridge into spiritual ecology when what is spiritual ecology how would you define it and what prompted you to go into that area
1: so f- we had been dealing um to the early years of the 2000s with with peace building and bringing spiritual leaders not just women i mean this this uh movement was founded by by women but it, it really was quite balanced in terms of gender uh and then in the year 2009 i think it was uh we we got invited to bring a delegation of spiritual leaders to the united nations climate conference in copenhagen and that was the first time we were participating in in a climate conference um and that was a, the, the obama's had just been elected and he was there uh, it was a very big deal because there was there was a the hope that there would be an agreement that would come out of that. Uh, and we found chaos, complete breakdown at the governmental level. We had about 25 spiritual leaders, uh, men and women, beautifully balanced east and west. And the, the NGO community was really angry. You know, they, they were angry that, that there could be no movement, that there was breakdown. And so you had marches, you had anger. And we just held a spiritual energy. Um, We had a lot of sessions going on at that time, just talking about how we had to connect with the Earth. We had to love the Earth again. It was that simple. Yes, you know, agreements had to be made, carbon trades and whatever. But basically, it was about changing consciousness, and that and that nothing would change until we changed consciousness. And we were people were so happy to hear that message. Uh, and that was the beginning for us of, of focusing on changing the way we interact with and understand our relationship with the natural
2: world. Mm-hmm. When, Dina, when you have gatherings and um, you, one of the things you brought to the table was to uh, make sure the presence of women was uh, um, a, a feature of these interfaith gatherings. How did the male spiritual leaders and religious leaders react to the presence on an equal footing of of all the women and how are they different from the way they were when it was all men?
1: I would say the the men that, that we reach out to and work with were were so pleased. Ah. Um we we had a when we did our second summit, which was at the UN in Geneva, the Palais des Nations, which was that's was the Global Peace Initiative of women, religious and spiritual leaders, giving women a platform. We had so many requests for men to come, hmm. and so we had about a quarter to a third of the participants were men, men religious leaders, and I think that there's great frustration among the many men uh, of the system that. Uh, that prevents the voices of women, the energies of women of coming of coming forth, so we have found some of our greatest supporters uh, to be some of the men
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we, we you know we don't necessarily work with the institutional leaders. we work with the spiritual figures, with people who have a strong spiritual presence, and who are spiritual teachers
0: uh, D- uh, Dina, do you make a distinction uh, between spirituality and religion and if so how do you make that distinction
1: well there's some there's some people who have institutional responsibilities they may not have a great spiritual presence but they they are committed to their institution and their job is institutional to see the growth of the institution the, the that the institution follows its doctrines or whatever mm-hmm. and you know they could be cardinals and bishops and and then we and rabbis chief rabbis we've worked with all of them but i find that they have Little leeway to stray from what the official line is, and and so we work with people who who have a deep spiritual practice and um, have some spiritual realization. Those are the people we seek to find. Their commitment is not to their institution but to helping people with their own spiritual development.
2: Very good, um, but there must be some considerable overlap. Ah, uh, between yes. institutional leaders and people uh, who have a deep spiritual presence—is that right?
1: Yes. Many. We've worked with with many of the monastics at Self Realization Fellowship, or a number of them, and they are religious leaders, and they're also. We've worked with swamis,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and, and their that their work is 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 not institutional necessarily, but right. but but spiritual unfolding.
0: Right, uh, Dina. What do you think it would take uh, for a religion like Catholicism? like Orthodox Judaism or Conservative Judaism in the United States to to really change in regard to its uh, women participation. Let's look at Catholicism. Right now you have Pope Francis, (coughs) an amazingly progressive pope, doing things and saying things that no other popes have ever said, yet the organization remains totally sexist because, you know, it's it's all run by men, all the bishops, all the cardinals, the pope, uh, and... uh, do you think there's anything in this generation that can be done uh, to change that?
1: I think these institutions will make themselves irrelevant.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I, you I think
1: they, they, they're doing themselves in. I mean, I, I, you know, it, the people who have power do not want to yield power. And there may be some changes they will make, but at the end of the day, are they still about holding on to their power? the catholic church is a very very wealthy organization uh, institution a global institution and in and in many ways it's been an oppressive institution and this pope has certainly shown a different face he's got humility he's um, you know willing to uh, open up a little bit and be more inclusive but is he going to go through the transformation that is absolutely needed in our time i doubt it and then it will become, become irrelevant i mean we we need to really uh, uh, evolve and and let go ways of thinking that are hampering us. In order for our species to to survive, we have to adapt new ways of thinking that are uh, that are much more enlightened. And those who can't come along, I'm afraid, will will make themselves mm-hmm. irrelevant.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, um, Dina. When we asked about the origins of your work, you you said you know that uh... u.n. summit uh... there were two realizations one was the absence of women the other was the predominance of the abrahamic faith uh... christianity judaism and islam um, and the uh... lesser participation of what we think of as the eastern traditions or the uh, mainly the traditions that uh... were born in India, the Dharmic uh, traditions, Um, and you made a concerted effort to uh, balance that out. What did you find when uh, suddenly there were Buddhist monks and swamis and yogis and people like that at the table? Uh, How did that change interfaith communications?
1: I think it, it's of critical importance because it, it opens it up into a global conversation. There's so much baggage within the Abrahamic family that, that, that um, uh, any conversation that is just with the Abrahamic family gets complete, eventually caught up in the historical issues between those groups. And and and, and it, it, we seem to go in circles. I've been many, com- many, many conferences where it's just Muslims, Jews, and Christians. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's still a lot of angst and anger, and and you know, we've, we've, yes, we've got a lot to tolerate it, but it they don't seem to to move beyond into into recognizing that um, the consciousness evolves and. We 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 can't any longer have this competition of which religion is right. The Dharma traditions do not have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hear the Buddhists or the Hindus saying, "Well, we have the only truth." You know, you're only going to find salvation through us. And I I think that's a that's an old way of thinking. And I most of the Christians that we work with have moved beyond that. Right. But the institutions have not moved beyond that. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's it's um it's been a huge burden on the human family and caused so much suffering, mm-hmm. this battle between which religion is right.
2: right.
1: And I think we, we are called to evolve beyond that. And bringing in the Dharma traditions helps move that conversation beyond that.
2: Hey, it's Can amazing how many... Go ahead. Um, I I noticed something similar in, in my interfaith um, um, exposures. and one of the things I notice is that when Hindus and Buddhists, and uh, to certain extent Taoists, are at the table, um, there becomes a more of an emphasis on the uh, inner life of spirituality and um, um, the, um, the the dimension that we think of as spiritual practice. Uh, that um, and less about dogma and history and and those kind of arguments, did you notice that as well it totally yeah
1: it, it, it's it's about um, spiritual practice for growth mm-hmm. and how the human community can grow in ways that will you know advance society right. uh, uh, and 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 i I think some of the by bringing in the Dharma tradition, some of this is catching on because mm. you know spiritual practices from the East are now being adapted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know rabbis who, who just teach, uh, the rabbis had to meditate to Vipassana. Right. And I, so I think that there's been a very positive influence by um, this focus on inner development. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, those those religions, uh, uh, emphasizing more a- experiential side of, of religion, of spirituality than uh, the scriptural. But I, I wanted to ask you one other about another group. Uh, you mentioned before about... Uh, coming back to loving the earth, and I'm wondering in your conferences if you have included uh, indigenous people from North America and their spiritual leaders, and so that question, and also uh, what is their attitude toward women and leadership in uh, their spiritual groups?
1: Well, we we began working with uh, an indigenous leader from the Sioux tribe um, about five years ago, and he at first looked at us as just another white group. He really didn't get who we were. So I brought him to India to a big conference we did on, on the theme of Dharma. And he fell in love with India. And he so got that, that, um, because I think that, that, um, you know, indigenous people who don't have exposure to the Eastern traditions tend to lump it all together as, you know, part of the other. But he really, fell in love with the whole Vedic worldview. So then he invited us to bring um, some Buddhist and Hindu leaders to Pine Ridge, which we mm, did last right. year. And that was a beautiful exchange. I mean, the first thing some of the elders said there is, they were happy to meet a real Indian.
2: Yeah, it was just <laughs> Indians going <theory> to India. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So now we're working within the, you know, we sent a group out to the Standing Rock, to To be to mm-hmm. be there, we've just gotten the report back from Standing Rock, and now we're planning a dialogue between our Native American elders and some of the contemplative some of the contemplative leaders that we work with uh, for 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 March. I think that what's happened at Standing Rock is monumental. It's oh, so. it's a, a yeah. It's, it's 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 about it grew bigger than the pipeline, and it became about. About um, honoring the 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 world view, which is not just in the Native American tribes, it's also in the Vedic tradition and many of the uh, many of the um, older traditions uh, about treating the earth like your mother and seeing the rivers as living entities and the forests and mountains as beings and not commodities. And we're at a very interesting time now because we have we have the election phenomenon. And then we have Standing Rock phenomenon. The fact that we had so many people who went to Standing Rock and had spiritual awakening experiences there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was all love energy, prayer, meditations, songs, celebrations. And so we've had two things going on at the same time, opposites almost. Right. Uh, people who left Standing Rock just wanted to get back there. Um, and um, they felt an, an, an intense spiritual energy. And from what we read, people were saying that the Earth. this was a response to the Earth's call. Huh. And this has to be a wake-up now. So we've got these two realities going on. It's going to be interesting.
2: Right.
1: How they and as, interact.
2: We, as we record this on uh, December 8, 2016... Uh, we should add that um, while Standing Rock is going on, and I didn't, I just learned a lot from you about what had been going on there. It wasn't just a matter of the pipeline uh, mm-hmm. and um, um, politics, but at the same time, this uh, what you uh, just described was going on. Uh, we had somebody nominated to be the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Who represents the other extreme of the yeah. um of the environmental uh outlook in the world uh, what what do you th- what do you foresee coming up with the and how are the groups that you're associated with uh responding
1: we 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 know that there's a whole undercurrent now that's building, and I think the message has to be messages have to be clear we're talking about sacred earth now. We have to reclaim that understanding and that sacred relationship with the earth. And the more um, the other forces try to uh, destroy that, the stronger this movement will become.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: only way I can understand uh, what's happening on the negative side is it will strengthen the other.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you uh, a question, Dina, about uh, your own... Uh, energies and resources going into accomplishing just that. Uh, you can go out and, and talk to people about what's the right thing to do and about Mother Earth and and, and, and all that. And, and some people will hear it uh, and then uh, it will also fall on deaf ears. Uh, or you can go out and encourage people and teach people how to uh, engage in spiritual practices, which will raise their consciousness. And then some would say, then naturally they will understand and Intuitively grasp the importance of Mother Earth and and, and taking care of her. Uh, where, where is it better uh, for you to put your energies into uh, developing pe- people's spirituality, uh, or or uh, uh, going out and actually talking to them directly, regardless of where they are spiritually?
1: I think it's it's raising people's consciousness spiritually. We, we we organized a conference a few weeks back on. This, teacher of Dharma in America. And we brought together Dharma teachers, meditation teachers. Mm-hmm. And and the purpose was we can't be teaching meditation as just stress reduction. It has to be about transformation. Right. And so we need to bring in the concept of Dharma. Uh, you can't separate spiritual practice mm-hmm. from this understanding of transformation to a uphold Dharma. What does it mean to uphold Dharma? What does it mean to, to live a life in harmony with Dharma? What is Dharma? We need to that has to be central to any spiritual practice, and because spiritual practice is becoming so popular, early yoga meditation, and people are are buying it because it does reduce stress and it and it gives people a sense of peace and whatever. Um, can we take them to the next step? Because I think the change in consciousness automatically then brings a lot of things, mm-hmm. an understanding of how to act. You know. Um, or the, the consciousness in, in terms of how we relate to the earth and, and the natural world. And so just to talk to people, you can talk you You know, we don't have time, really. We can spend the next 30 years just trying to convince people. Right. That only the change in consciousness will do it. <laughs> that's what's needed now.
2: Now, that's a good segue. I was going to ask of, uh, uh, about another of the organizations you're... Involved with or lead uh, one is the another is the contemplative alliance. Um, is that still operative, and how does that play into these other other uh, activities you do?
1: The contemplative alliance is is actually a, a main part of our work, and a lot of the most of the gatherings that we do here in the U.S. We would do them under the the name of the contemplative alliance. Um, the Global Peace Initiative of Women developed 15 years ago really was a lot of our peace efforts internationally. You know, we've worked in many of the hot spots, but when we, when we decided to focus on the U.S., we wanted to bring contemplatives together for this spiritual transformation. You know, I've traveled the world, and I feel that there, there's great potential in America because there's so many practitioners now. Mm-hmm. Dharma has really taken root in, in America. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, but it ha- hasn't yet congealed into enough of a movement that it could really flip things. But I believe that that could not be far off. And we can't allow ourselves to get discouraged by you know, what appears to be, in, you know, in a, uh, a throwback to darker times. Right. You know, that's a temporary thing.
0: Uh, Dina, uh, in your in your life uh, do you take time every day and that was a, a positive sp- right do you take time every day to engage in spiritual practice what what's your daily routine how do you keep that balance
1: well i i meditate first thing in the morning for an hour uh i i try to do a little bit in the evening but that's not as regular as the morning and then i i try to have a few hours on the weekend mm-hmm. so i i uh, i get the most benefit from longer meditations a couple of times a year, I'll go and retreat and do, you know, maybe five, six hours a day of meditation. And that's, that's how I recharge myself. I, I couldn't manage without meditation. And, I, you know, my, I used the Kriya Yoga practices that Yogananda taught. Uh, and, and, and then I do, you know, reading of, of um, some of the texts. And so I, I listen to chanting a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, my mind is in the spiritual practice, I would say, for a few hours a day
2: excellent so you're a good example of uh, a contemplative activist because there's many people who um... are activists who don't have that inner life and the opportunity to rejuvenate and uh... transform on a regular basis and then of course there are many contemplatives who are disengaged with the world and you seem to be uh, a great karma yoga example
1: I can't understand how you can be disengaged. You know, I I do believe that meditation is a, is a um, uh, an action. So you know, you're, you're meditating, and, and there there are practices the Buddhists do where they where they where they um, offer the merit. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so the merit of the meditation you offer it to 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 the world. So I think, and I've I've often said that the yogis, you know, hidden away. Are probably what's holding this planet together right now. Right, right. Uh, because I th- th- think there's a lot of grace coming through.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Uh, Dina, um, I, I, I have one last question for you. And that is my co host here, Phil Goldberg, uh, as we speak, is uh, writing a biography of uh, Parma Mahansa Yogananda and with the full cooperation of the Self Realization Fellowship. What advice do you have for him as somebody who is a, a student a disciple of <laughs> Thank uh, you, Yogananda? <laughs> Phil did not ask me to ask this question <laughs> I did. I'm shocked.
1: well, what I would say is there there are many dimensions of Yogananda. there's the outer story and there's the inner story mm-hmm. and each devotee has an inner story of of um of of life saving things that have happened to them <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and you know it it becomes a a a very personal relationship um where between you and the guru, where there are moments when, you know, what can you say? You know, he comes again and again to pull you out of the dark. And it's these inner stories that I think are so precious. And so I hope in your book you can capture some of them.
2: <laughs> right. We'll see. Um, Dina, um, thanks for the advice, the literary advice. Um, our listeners, um, I hope, have gotten a, a good sense of all the wonderful work you're doing in the world. We've mentioned a few of the uh, projects and organizations you're involved in. It, did we leave anything out? Is there anything you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? And if somebody is uh, inspired by what they've heard, is there are there ways for them to be involved in, with what you're doing?
1: Yes, they can, um, they can check out our website and e- email me. It's www.gpiw.org um, I want to leave with a closing thought and that thought is when I work with the grassroots people around this country I realize how much phenomenal spiritual energy has been unfolding here in this country and I think that we're reaching a moment where it's going, to, it's going to show itself in a very positive way. And so many people are discouraged now in the last few weeks, myself included. We have to work not to get discouraged and to see that there's a deeper purpose to this unfolding. And um, we, have to, we have to manifest. Now it's time to manifest, to bring our spiritual energy to the fore and help something greater manifest.
0: Great. Well, thank Sounds you so much. Sounds like a good much. way
2: to close.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, we wish you great success, continued success, in your uh, work, and that uh, we hope to have you back on the show in the near future so uh, you can give c- continue to let us know your progress. And I think we're all in this together, and I think uh, your message really resonates uh, today and, and will continue to resonate in our society and culture. So thank you so very much. Uh, Phil, anything Wonderful.
2: Thank you both. Thank you. Okay, Dina, thank you so much and keep up the good work. We'll be in touch.
1: Okay, great. Talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Bye.